Thank you for standing by and welcome to the Nanosonics Limited 2023 half year results. All participants are in a listen only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask questions via the phones, you will need to press the star key followed by the number 1 on your telephone keypad. I would now like to hand the conference over to Mr. Michael Kavana, managing director and CEO. Please go ahead. Thank you very much and a very good morning everybody and thank you all for joining our call. I understand that today is a quite a busy day out in the markets. I'm joined here by McGregor Grant, our CFO. Well, this morning you will all have seen we released all the details around our half year results for uh, this financial year which really confirmed the numbers in the trading updates that we provided on the 19th of January including of course the upgrade of our guidance for the full year um overall i think uh, we're very pleased with the performance of the business in the first half with significant progress as you will have seen uh, both financially and operationally and importantly also when you you break down um the half uh, into the, the two quarters we saw good growth momentum emerging between the uh, first and second quarter as usual we have provided a lot of granular detail especially in the investor presentation breaking everything down by region by quarter uh, our total units revenue down into capital consumables etc so pretty much most of the information um is in there but for me there are really i think three key takeaway messages um that i'd like to leave and the, the first takeaway is that the the transition to a largely direct operation in north america is now effectively complete it has been successful and the anticipated benefits from that change are certainly coming to fruition and this was especially evident in the second quarter as the transition was finalized from a customer onboarding perspective and of course the expansion of our local infrastructure was completed and became fully operational and uh, indeed on the back of that we saw good overall growth momentum between the first and second half um not just in north america but across the business the second takeaway is as total revenue is growing um where it was up 35% in the first half um to 81.6 million together with improved gross profit margins we are getting more operating leverage in our underlying trofund business uh, indeed in our business in north america it's generating between 55% and 60% operating profit before headquarter costs are allocated um there is of course significant opportunity for ongoing growth and while we intend to continue to invest to realize those opportunities we do also expect to see ongoing uh growth in our operating leverage uh, for our underlying business moving forward and the third takeaway message for me really is we we remain very excited about the opportunity with our next transformational product chorus and more details about the product can be found in the investor presentation including images of the product for the first time as well as details of the excellent efficacy results it's achieving and this product truly does address one of the most significant issues in instrument reprocessing today which of course is centers around endoscope cleaning 
where we believe there is a significant unmet need and the fundamentals for adoption are strong because there already exists guidelines and requirements in all major markets around the cleaning and reprocessing of these endoscopes. During the half, um, a number of planned activities with Chorus were delayed a bit, primarily because of some supply issues with a number of custom components that are specifically designed for Chorus. This was mainly out of some of the suppliers we have in China uh, on certain components where there were COVID-related lockdowns, of course, in the half, and then that was followed by uh, the Chinese New Year. This did push some of our activities behind a bit, but that being said, um, assuming that the supply chain risks can be managed, which they currently are, uh, we continue to target, as we've said before, progressive market introductions aligned with regulatory approvals, and uh, our aim is the first um, market introduction will likely be in Australia and or Europe uh, towards the end of the calendar year. So they're really the, the three key takeaways, but I'll, I'll touch on some of the other highlights uh, for the first half and then hand over for questions. Um, as always, first of all, the installed base. Globally, the installed base reached now 31,120 units um, out there at the end of December. So that's up 4% in the last six months and 11% in the last 12 months. In North America, there were 1,110 new installed base units placed in the first half. As mentioned earlier, when you break down the half, we saw good growth momentum emerging between the first and the second quarter. And this was certainly the case in North America, where just over 60% of the new IV were actually placed in the second quarter as the transition to the largely direct sales model uh, completed. So that's 680 units in Q2, which on an annualized basis is getting the run rate approaching the 2,800 to 3,000 new IB units uh, per annum that we are targeting as we enter FY24. Our direct team, they continue to collaborate with all the OEMs, and some of those new IB units were referred by um, or sold through uh, some of the ultrasound OEMs. The majority of the demand, however, and the sales for the new IB units uh, is and continues to be generated uh, by our expanded direct team. In Europe, uh, just as other companies have reported, the market environment there does remain challenging, um, really associated with still some COVID-related hospital staff issues, NHS pressures in the UK and, and general inflationary pressures. A total of 80 new IB units were placed in the half, which was down on PCP. However, like the US, the Q2 was a, a lot stronger, with actually 75% of the new units uh, placed in Q2. And we do expect growth momentum to continue now into H2. We're already seeing that into Q3. And we remain optimistic about the overall growth opportunity in Europe, whilst, of course, remaining somewhat cautious under the current market environment. But Q3 so far is looking good. In Asia-Pacific, the installed base, it grew 4% and a half with 80 units placed. Now, that's growing the total IB to uh, just under 2,000 units in Asia-Pacific. The majority of this new IB were placed in ANZ. There were some units in Japan. Uh, in Japan, 
our efforts continue uh, through our medical affairs program, engaging with opinion leaders and societies as we, we work together on developing new standards and guidelines for uh, high-level disinfection. Um, and in China, the local authorities' testing of Trophon 2 is nearing completion. Actually, I've just learned it has been completed with the product passing all tests um, that are required. So plans now in place um, to pull together uh, the submission for regulatory approval. On upgrades, as you know, there is a significant opportunity for upgrades, and we're now seeing good growth, especially on the back of the transition in North America, where we now manage all the uh, customers. And in total, there were 800 upgrades in the half, which was up 100% on prior corresponding period. And like the new IB, we also saw good growth momentum in Q2 over Q1, with 68 or just under 70% of the upgrades actually placed in Q2. And details by region on all the IB and uh, upgrades can be found in the investor presentation. So when you combine our new installed base and upgrades, um, there was an overall increase of 14% in total units placed in the half versus prior corresponding period. So overall, a good result for our capital equipment volumes. On the revenue side, um, Overall revenue was up 35% to 81.6 million or 27% in constant currency. Uh, breaking that down, the capital revenue that was just under 26 million and that was up 36% versus PCP and the consumables and service revenue um, just under 56 million was up 34% versus PCP. And the, the key contributors to revenue growth when we when we look at it is obviously growth in total units placed, and that's both new installed base and upgrades. And as already mentioned, total units placed were up 14%. There was increased consumable volumes as the new installed base continues to grow, and but also as ultrasound procedures uh, return now to pre-COVID-19 levels. Um, there was certainly favorable pricing on both capital and consumables, uh, especially in North America with the shift from distributor pricing to customer pricing as a result of the uh, transition to the largely direct sales model over there. Um, we also did see increased service revenue. And of course, as there's now a critical mass of units out in the marketplace, service um, can become more prominent and the opportunity is great and service revenue was actually up 50%, just over 50% to just under 9 million in the first half. And of course there was favorable impact of foreign exchange um, associated primarily with the relatively stronger USD. And proportionally I guess of the, the 35% growth that we did see, approximately 7% was due to the favorable impact of foreign exchange with the remainder associated with volume and price and each having actually quite a similar impact between volume and price. By region, in North America, the total revenue was up 36%, and that's uh, just over 74 million. And that did include growth in capital revenue of 35%, 
So where you had um, just over 23 million in capital revenue and, of course, growth in consumables revenue, which was up 37% to just under 51 million. In uh, our European region, the total revenue was up 6% in the half to just under 4 million and capital revenue was up 13%. To just under 1 million in consumables and service revenue up 4% and it's just under 3 million and likewise in Asia PAC the, the total revenue was up quite strongly actually up 31% to just under 4 million and this was mainly driven by increased capital revenue which was up 78% uh, versus PCP to uh, 1.6 million where we had a very good half we're now seeing more upgrades coming through over last year and, of course, continued new IB growth. And with that, the consumables uh, also continues to grow, um, which was up 10% in the half to 2.2 million. On the gross profit margin uh, for the business, for the half, uh, it was just in under 79%, so 78.9%. And that was up from just over 76% in the PCP and this strong result was driven by the favorable capital and consumable pricing in North America Um, the increased proportion of consumables uh, resulting in strong sales growth in the first half uh, which was associated really with increases in procedural volumes and the installed base and of course the the favorable impact of foreign exchange now the those above factors the the capital the consumables and the fx they were partially offset by higher freight costs but still delivering a a strong gross profit margin result and um, as mentioned in the updated guidance we are expecting the gross profit margin to be between 77 and 79 percent for the full year and that will depend on the mix between capital and consumables but we are anticipating that we will see more capital in the mix in the uh, second half uh, especially as upgrades and of course continued growth in in new installed base comes through Um, on the Operating expenses um, for the half, they totaled uh, 54.5 million. So that's up 28% on PCP or up 14% compared to the prior half. And the, the primary drivers for increase in operating expenses include, of course, the increased costs in our North American infrastructure uh, supporting the transition. And, and in the half, um, we did add probably another four or five extra headcount than we had anticipated, albeit it was in um, our Indianapolis facility in customer service, just helping manage the, the volumes of transactions and calls that we're doing, customer service and logistics. Um, of course, we did have uh, foreign exchange and unfavorable impact of foreign exchange on all our U.S. Uh, dollar denominated expenses. Um, we did continue, uh, shall continue our investments in R&D across our, our three primary areas of ultrasound reprocessing, endoscope reprocessing and our traceability and compliance solutions. And of course moving to the uh, new headquarters and new manufacturing and R&D facilities um, come at an increased cost as well. But overall you would have seen um, good operating leverage 
um, despite the fact that the the um, operating expenses did increase. And when you actually break our operating expenses down, it is important to to stress that of the total OPEX, 44-45% is actually associated with all the activities and market development and growth out in the region. So it's associated with revenue generating. 25% is associated with product innovation, so future revenue revenue generating. And of course, about 30% associated with the back office infrastructure, manufacturing, etc., to support the regions. Um, so taking all of that together, then um, we had an operating profit um, before income tax for the half of 11.4 million, and that was up from 3.3 million in the prior corresponding period. We had positive free cash flow for the half, just over 6 million, and at the end of December, the company had cash and cash equivalents of just under 100 million, so 99.3 million um, at the end of December, and as you know, we don't have any debt. Um, so, and at this stage, in terms of that cash, we continue to investigate M&A opportunities as well as potential distribution partnership opportunities. And this cash balance does provide a strong foundation for this um, should those opportunities arise. A quick comment uh, on inventory because you will see in the accounts that inventory was actually up 2 million versus uh, prior corresponding period to a total of 24.6 million. And the, the main drivers of this increase are, well, one, continuing to mitigate supply chain risks to ensure continuity of customer supply. And I think we've managed that very well um, since the emergence of COVID. Supply chain has not gone away yet. Um, it certainly is improving, um, but we continue to, to mitigate through our inventory holdings. Of course, going direct uh, in North America means we are increasing um, some of our inventory in North America as well under the new sales model. And the other important component of it is freight and our mode of freight. And here we are very much managing freight costs by transporting the majority um, by sea freight. If we were to do so by air freight, it would cost about two and a half times sea freight. Um, so it's more costly, but in addition to do sea freight, in addition on the sea freight, the time actually for sea freight is taking approximately one month longer than it used to pre-COVID. And that means we need more units in transit to make sure that um, we have that continuity of supply out in the regions. So um, the, our primary goal is to ensure continuity of supply. But as you can imagine, um, with the size of our inventory, this is something that is under active management uh, within the company. Um, the, a few comments, because obviously over the last six months or so, you know, a key focus and many of the questions I get are around the North American transition and how it's going. Is it being successful? So a few comments on that. And what I can say now is that this transition is now effectively complete. Um, all of the GE customers have been transitioned, accounts set up, 
pricing agreements in place and we're now shipping products to all customers from our facility in Indianapolis. We do have a small number of sub-distributors, but the majority um, going through our facility in Indianapolis. The full team is now in place and operational. As I mentioned, we did add a few extra headcount over what we initially anticipated, probably about four or five over what we initially anticipated, but they were mainly in the supply and customer service roles uh, to manage the increased volumes. We have established well over 15 new enterprise agreements with IDNs or integrated delivery networks since we started the transition, and we're now dealing one way or another with the majority of the IDNs in North America. We continue to work with the ultrasound OEMs, including GE, and we have also signed a number of distributors that GE worked on um, at when they were distributing to sell Trophon. However, as I mentioned earlier, most of the demand is certainly driven through the efforts of our direct team. So most of our sales are through the direct team. And in the second half, we will be expanding our service infrastructure um, and model in the United States to include field service operations and the costs of this are included in the updated OPEX guidance. And with many existing customers coming off of service contracts and moving to Trophon 2 with upgrades, uh, which are provided by Nanasonics, we see service as a, a very good opportunity um, moving forward, not just from a, a revenue perspective, and as I mentioned, our service revenue is up 51% or 50% in the half, um, but not just from a revenue perspective, but importantly, uh, making sure we're always very close to the customer so we can continue to provide excellent customer service. Um, finally, a few comments on Chorus and just reiterate what I've already said. And the, the investor presentation does cover some of the details around Chorus, including for the first time images of the product, which for some of you, it may remind you of a Trophon unit, uh, but I can assure you they are totally different technologies. We're just sort of keeping it in the design family. But the Chorus technology, of course, does aim to address the limitations of current manual cleaning with a novel mode of action using a proprietary, environmentally friendly cleaning agent that coupled with an advanced delivery mechanism. Um, it brings a high level of automation to the cleaning pro process and our efficacy results to date demonstrates it certainly um, has the ability to set new benchmarks in cleaning efficacy. As you can imagine, um, there's a lot of activity happening across the organization, a lot of excitement across the organization as we ready for market introduction. Um, we were impacted by some supply issues on a number of unique course components, as I mentioned, especially out of China. But we are um, continuing to manage um, those slippages on some of those activities. And, um, you know, some of the key milestones for this half includes, of course, the in-use clinical study, together with a range of other studies that we will be doing. Uh, we do continue to engage with the FDA through their Safer Technologies program. I mentioned that on our last call, and, and that is proving uh, to be beneficial uh, for us, having access to that group in the FDA. Um, the de novo regulatory submission to the FDA is, uh, we continue to expect that this year. And of course, 
this is a global product and outside of FDA, we expect regulatory registrations in a number of markets uh, to commence. And assuming the supply chain risks are managed and we um, we do continue, as we said before, to target our progressive market introductions aligned with those regulatory approvals with the uh, first likely to be in Australia and or maybe a market to in Europe towards the end of the calendar year. So that remains the same. And on the business outlook, uh, we did provide um, updated uh, guidance uh, on the 19th of January, and that has remained the same. So we now expect total revenue growth of between 36 and 41%. That was previously 20 to 25%. Um, and those adjusted targets for FY23 assume a, a US, rate, US dollar rate of 70 cents. Um, the gross profit margin uh, we expect to be between 77 and 79 percent. Um, that was previously 75, 76 percent. Obviously, we beat that in the first half, and that will be de- determined by the the actual mix uh, between capital and consumables. And of course, operating expenses. Um, we've increased the guidance there to grow between 22 and 27. Um, percent as we continue to invest but of course a couple of percentage points of those operating expenses are associated with uh, some headwinds on FX with our US denominated uh, expenses but uh, as always all this guidance as in the announcement uh, is subject to the ongoing uncertainties out in the market uh, where there is variability of course in market conditions um, you know, COVID-related or broader economic or geopolitical uh, uncertainty related. So with that, I um, will hand over for any questions. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you wish to ask a question via the phones, you will need to press the star key followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of David Lowe from JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Um, Michael, if I could get you to talk a little bit about the assumptions that you've made in the guidance for the rest of the year. I mean, I, I see the comment on gross margins will come off a little bit because capital will be a bigger proportion. Just, uh, are you assuming in terms of the installed base growth that you will be back at the run rate that you've talked about, to 2800 plus? And perhaps also if you could touch on upgrades in the same. Okay. Yeah, so, thanks, David. The, we do expect to exit the, um, the year in North America back at that run rate. Um, if you look at the, the quarter two numbers we got an installed base in North America, we, um, we you know, annualized that and it's getting close to 2,800. It was about 2,700 and something. Um, so we, we are expecting installed base to, to, um, to get back to those levels. We're also expecting, um, you know, continued growth in upgrades in North America. Um, and just a reminder what, why we expect the upgrade growth is a there's a significant opportunity in the number of units that are out there that are seven years of age plus and um, of course the majority of those units um, were 
with as GE customers that have now been transferred over to Nanasonics. So Nanasonics has access to all these customers for us now to drive the upgrade strategy. Um, in addition to that, um, the other assumptions are that we will have a stronger second half in, in Europe. We certainly expect that. And um, we'll continue to have a good half in, in Asia-Pacific, probably similar to what we had in the first half um, in Asia-Pacific. So overall, with that guidance, I think they're, they're the primary drivers. Obviously, we'll, we'll continue to benefit um, from the pricing um, that we've now achieved in the first half with the transition um, that will just flow through into the second half. Great. Thank you very much for that. And if we could move on to the Chorus device. I mean, you've you talked about the clinical trials. Can I get you to talk a little bit about what's required there? And then in the same breath, if you could touch on the regulatory approval process, what, how long that's likely to take in these initial markets, please. Yeah. The, um, the clinical trials, being a de novo application, um, some people think that the, it's it's a huge clinical trial with major endpoints that are patient-related um, to show decreases in, in infection rates. That's not the case. The, the clinical trial is an in-use clinical trial that, that has to demonstrate um, the, the cleaning efficacy over the current mechanisms of cleaning efficacy. So there's no patient endpoints, it's just a statistical sample size that's required to demonstrate the, the clinical the cleaning efficacy. Um, there are other trials that are not um, in-use trials that we were, will also be doing. So further trials, for example, on biofilm. We're working, you'll see in the presentation, uh, some comments from uh, a, a key opinion leader by the name of Michelle Alpha out of Canada. Michelle is um, probably recognized as the world's leading authority in biofilm in endoscopy and the problems of biofilm in endoscopy and has actually um, generated, uh, published extensively on it, but also generated um, various models of growing biofilm, in, in particularly in these small channels. We'll be doing some work with Michelle um, showing um, you know further data on biofilm in addition to the data we already have that she's very impressed with. Um, so there's a number of, of studies that, that we will be doing like that that over and above the in-use clinical study that's required for the submissions. The other studies are as much to, to back up all the claims with respect to the superiority um, of the products. Some of those will be done in-house, some of those will be done in clinic. Um, on the regulatory side, the de novo, um, being a de novo because there is no predicate, de novos generally take longer than 510Ks. The benefit of, without guarantee I should say, but the benefit of participating in the STEP program, and one of the things that you do with the STEP program is a lot of liaison with the FDA to ensure that all the material that you're providing in the de novo application is almost full and complete. So by the time it's going through the review process, um, then you um, hopefully have a smoother um, path through the review process. They don't give guarantees on that, but that's the intention. Um, so a de novo could take, it could take six, nine, 12 months. It's uncertain. Um, but if you 
if you thought about nine months, um, that wouldn't be a bad idea. The um, the other regulatory jurisdictions um, are less onerous. Uh, we would still require that in-use clinical data, um, but the degree of of documentation that we require um, is a little bit less onerous. But, we, but one way or another, we'll have all the documentation for the de novo, and that would be leveraged in the other uh, jurisdictions where the process of getting that review is a lot faster. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you. Your next question comes from Lynn Harrison from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, Michael. Good morning, McGregor. Um, can I start with you know what you saw in that first quarter? So obviously the the, the new installations was lower and, and understandably because of you know higher COVID volumes or we had a COVID wave through that period across I guess all geographies. Um, but what confidence do you have now with, I guess, hospital systems and hospital protocol that, um, you know, that Nanosonics, you know, can manage through that alongside hospitals so that we don't have that sort of impact because we're still likely to get, you know, COVID interrupt, um, you know, operations going forward? Yeah, that's a great question, Lynn. And um, I think the... There, there certainly continues to be uncertainty. Um, in the first quarter, it wasn't, especially in the United States, it wasn't just um, COVID-related impacts. We were still in the throes of the, um, the transition. So a lot of the sales force actually, um, in some cases, were, I don't want to use the word distracted, but they were, they were helping out the transition of existing customers, which then reduced a bit of their time in terms of driving the new sales. But as we moved into the second quarter and that transition was done, well, then they were back 100% focused on the, the, um, the core jobs. So, and we saw that then coming through in the, um, the second quarter in the United States. Um, and, you know, based on the numbers, and remember, those salespeople are doing both upgrades and new install base. Um, so on a total unit, you know, from a productivity perspective, they're actually doing quite well. Um, obviously, we want both, and getting the balance between both is, is really important, and that's something our regional president in, in North America is continuously, and our head of sales continuously looking at. Um, so, and the numbers as we're going into this third quarter, and we're a few weeks into the third quarter, give us a degree of confidence. But Europe has a little bit more uncertainty. I think that many companies have reported that. You know, in the UK, I, I spent a couple of weeks over there visiting many centers and um, actually experienced myself firsthand meetings being canceled you know, in the morning of a meeting because people were off because of COVID. Um, I happened to be there at the time of the, all the strikes that were happening, etc. So there's, there's a lot of um, upheaval um, within the NHS. But that being said, you know, when I was in the hospitals, the, the employees are doing a stellar job uh, in managing through. But there is, there is, there certainly are disruptions. Now, again, we saw in the second quarter in Europe, 
uh, the numbers coming through. And as we're moving into the third quarter, we're we're feeling quite decent about that as well. Um, but are decent, you know, we're feeling good about it. But at the same time, I'm remaining cautious about it, um, just based on the environment over there. But we certainly feel confident in um, the ability that the second half will be stronger in the, than the first half in Europe. Okay, thank you. And then if I could move on to upgrades. So by mm -hmm. my calculation, about 5% of the installed base was replaced in the last 12 months. Um, so in terms of driving that, I guess, upgrade percentage higher, you know, yeah. what needs to be done? Is it about, you know, just Salesforce spending more time, you know, or is it convincing, um, you know, customers that, you know, the replacement is required? You know, what's, I guess, the biggest driver to get that, you know, from 5% upwards towards 10% per hour? Yeah, I mean, the upgrade opportunity, really, you, you look at the cohort that is um, seven years of age plus rather than the total installed base. So, um, we're probably close to about 10% of the, um, let's call it the, the, the target segment for upgrades, because um, there's probably about 9,000 units um, over there. Well, actually, in fact, we're probably a bit more because it was 800 in this last half, but we had done more um, in the last year as well. The, um, and, but what you described is just about spending time. It's just about being in front of the customers, demonstrating, um, getting it into the budget uh, cycle, and um, people seeing the benefits. Of course, for those age units, as a, a, in addition to the value proposition of the the feature set of the device, you have there's an economic argument as well because you know if they're on a service contract, well then it's almost like the cost of that service contract is discounted immediately because it comes with a 12-month guarantee or warranty. So, you know, it really is about um, getting on front of these customers and um, spending the time. Now, in doing that, our new IB, a large percentage of our new IB is coming from what we talk about uh, going deep within hospitals. So going into departments in hospitals um, that don't have Trophon, where there are other departments in the same hospitals that do have Trophon. So whilst we're in doing that, at the same time those Salesforce are uh, visiting, depending on the age of those devices, those departments that already have Trophons, and where there is an opportunity for upgrades, um, you know, we try and couple that with new IB as well. And there have been many, many cases where um, the sales that have been made, um, you know, it has been new IB and upgrades coming from the same center. But it's, it's just people on front of people. Okay, thank you. And one last question from me is um, on consumables. So with, um, with devices, you spoke about uh, quarter on quarter growth. Can you shed some color on what you're seeing on consumables, you know, through first and second quarter and what you're seeing to date in third quarter? Um, I think the run rate that we're seeing with consumables now, because a lot of the growth in consumables, it, there's volume growth that has brought us back to pre-COVID levels, essentially, in the United States. And then there's obviously there's some pricing benefits um, that are coming through on, on consumables. I think the the 
growth in consumables moving forward now because those prices are baked in. The growth in consumables now will be almost directly correlated with the the growth in new installed base um, moving forward. Um, certainly, as we're out there and our clinical applications force are out there with customers and educating, there may be in some departments, not all departments, uh, an opportunity uh, through education that the utility of existing units out there could improve. Um, but I would say that the, the primary driver on consumables growth moving forward will be associated with new IB. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Josh Akanarokas from Baron Joey. Please go ahead. Hi, Michael and McGregor. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, a few questions for me. Firstly, just on the pricing benefits, and apologies if I uh, missed this earlier on. So, should we be recognising that the full pricing benefit was witnessed in the first half, or is there any incremental sort of uplift that comes through as those benefits are, you know, effectively annualised? Yeah, look, I think the full pricing benefit now, um, Josh is, is probably recognised in the first half. We've, you know, I mentioned that, um, you know, as part of the transition, we, you know, entered into pretty much uh, greater than 50 or so enterprise agreements and pricing agreements. We've done all the pricing agreements with existing customers, et cetera. So I think that the full pricing benefits are associated with what you've seen in the first half. Perfect. And, and just on guidance as well, so the, the 70 cent cross rate um, currency assumption, you might have mentioned this as well, but is that just for the sort of second half or is that for the, you know, maybe just to give the context on from what time you're expecting that currency versus what's already been achieved in the year to date? Oh, well, so year to date, the average rate has been about 68 a bit. Um, but we've seen the uh, the AUD strengthen slightly, so we assume 70, 70 cents for the, the whole of the second um, half. Okay, that's perfect. Thanks, McGregor. And then just while we're on guidance, on the cost base, um, is it possible within this year's sort of OPEX guidance to look at, you know, what sort of component of that is related to chorus or non-trophon products? And maybe just while we're on that question, just can give us a little bit of a feel for how we should be thinking about, you know, cost base into, into, into the 24 as well? Yeah, I mean the chorus, the, the big cost associated with chorus is on the R&D and I think in, in R&D we um, had about 13 and a half million in the first half on R&D. Of that, probably, I don't know the exact figure but I imagine close to 70% of it uh, would have been associated um, with chorus. Now, there's a lot of activities that are captured under R&D, clinical, parts of regulatory, parts of new product introduction in manufacturing, test system setups, etc. It's not just the scientific aspects of R&D. There's a lot captured in that. Um, you will see, you know, R&D as a percentage of revenue has come down. Um, I think last year it might have been about 18 and a half. This half is currently running at about 16 and a half or so. Um, so we, our expectation is R&D as a percentage of revenue will start coming down. And albeit, would, you know, we will continue to invest in R&D, but it may be on different things. It may be on, you know, getting on to ultra, uh, Trophon 3, Trophon 4, 
second generation sort of chorus, expanded indications, potentially other other new innovations. But I think the general the the general thematic uh, just moving forward is certainly with the underlying business on the Trophon business, we're expecting to see operating leverage continue to improve. It has improved this half, and we're continuing to see it improve uh, moving forward. Perfect. And just final one, you know, obviously great to see a photo and a bit more context around the chorus. Um, you mentioned that de novo. Is the hope for that to, to get it submitted in this half of the financial year, or I'm not sure if you mentioned um, that? There's, there's too many variables associated with that to give a, a, a definitive answer that I can will be held accountable for. So um, certainly this calendar year, whether it falls into this half or just a bit after this half, to be determined. Okay, great. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. But I just I do want to be clear. This is a global product designed to be a global product. The US will not be the first market we launch into but obviously it's a very important market but it won't be the first market we launched into the market introductions will be uh, phased in according with the the regulatory approval so the milestone of getting the fda in is one but then the timeline associated with the de novo as well needs to go through but um, you know i think we're 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 certainly tracking um tracking the way we want to be tracking at the moment did you sorry sorry to sneak another one in, but did you mention Michael on the call just around how you think about timing and say potential global distributors or other partners that you may work with and when we hear a bit more info about that? Oh you'll hear about that when you hear about it. No, I hadn't said okay. anything more on the call. Yep. Okay. Thanks, no problem. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Matthew Chevrier from City. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, Michael McGregor. Thanks for taking my question. Um, my first question was on um, upgrades that you've uh, you've been doing so far. What's been the average age of the devices that you've been upgrading, and, and how does that compare to your um, initial expectations around the, the life cycle of the device? Yeah, the um, I mean, we the average age probably is. Um, around eight years or so because there's a distribution of devices. If you take the, the devices that are seven years of age and beyond, there's a distribution by age. And, um, you know, we've got some devices out there that are 10 years old. I guess in one sense that, that stands to the quality of the device. The, um, but the average age is probably around um, eight years, I would imagine. Um, so it's, it's sort of pretty much in line with what our expectations are. Understood. And then um, in terms of the installed devices, have you seen instances where you haven't um, upgraded the device and the customers have decided to make do with another solution? Um, I can't point to any specific instances, but in, in markets where there is competition and if we don't get to those customers in time, I anticipate that we could lose some, um, but our expectation is that by and large, the absolute majority, high majority of our current install base will remain install base for, for Nanosonics. Yeah, and in, 
in cases where that hasn't been the case, is it just a function of uh, functionality or, or pricing, or is there anything you, you can point to specifically? No, because to be honest, I'm not across any major details of where it's certainly not a common occurrence um, that's been brought to my attention. So I I can't really um, proffer an opinion. I mean, I, just as we may lose one or two in certain markets, you know, I am aware where um, some of the competition had units installed or are using manual processes are switching over to to nanosonics as well. So um, by and large, I've said this before on competition, I think competition is really important in this market. Why? Because there's a a great opportunity for um, increased awareness and understanding by of the category. And our job then is to ensure that as that awareness increases, that Nanasonics continues to remain the dominant player. And that's exactly what we're working on. Understood. And then just one on um, hospital budgets in the U.S. I mean, clearly we've seen, uh, you know, across different industries, uh, job cuts, uh, budget constraints. Um, What have you been hearing from your, your teams on the ground so far this year? Um, yeah, we we obviously read and um, hear um, all the the commentary on hospital budgets and losses uh, being experienced within hospitals and increased costs with agency resources that they have as they're losing you know, full time resources, etc. Um, the I won't say we're immune to it, but the, these hospitals still have to comply with all the requirements for decontamination. And it's not that we're highly capital intensive from a budget perspective. So, so far, whilst we're aware of it and it made some of the budgeting may have delayed some of the timing, um, we've not experienced the impact of budgets um, to the degree that others may be in, be experiencing at the moment. That's not to say that it's not coming, um, but so far we're cognizant of it, managing it, some delays in uptake, not cancellations. We still have to go through the budgeting process, um, but so far I think, especially what we saw between Q1 and Q2 and that, that sort of growth, where it's it's not currently a major uh, impediment to our growth. Right, and just finally on, I know you know you're not giving guidance for FY24 today, but how should we think about operating costs um, given all the things that you know you're planning to do, hopefully by the end of the calendar year, and and uh, just thoughts on staffing levels going forward. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the high, in terms of the operating cost for this year, um, effectively, you should be thinking about it in the context of the guidance that has been provided. Moving forward, um, for the underlying Trofund business, as I said earlier, we're expecting to see growth in operating leverage because the, the growth in revenue uh, should certainly outstrip any growth in, in uh, the investments that we need to make. Obviously, then we will be launching, you know, chorus and, and other things into the market, which will will come with a cost. 
Uh, and probably in the future, McGregor might be useful that we, you know, just help the market understand between the differentials between the 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 underlying business. So, for example, in America, we have one slide in there. I think we showed it at the full year. You know, if you just take the Americas and the operating margin over there is between 55 and 60 percent. Um, that's before we allocate any of our headquarter costs. Um, so the, the trough on business is looking pretty solid, but then the any other costs that we'll be making will certainly be associated with things that we believe will drive long-term value. Great. Thanks very much for your help. Thanks, Matthew. Um, I think we've got time for one more question, and um, then we'll we'll move on. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Elise Shapiro from Canacor. Please go ahead. Great, thanks for taking the question. Um, just on the gross margin improvements, um, what what extent of those was driven by price rises and volume growth versus um, FX? Um, probably a similar sort of of percentage as what we said, uh, Elise, with the overall revenue. So about seven. You know, if you look at the overall revenue um, growth of 35%, we're saying about 7% of that was associated with FX. So pull that out, and then uh, in terms of pricing and volume, it was you know almost equivalent. So that same sort of ratio um, flows down into the gross margin. McGregor, any? That's about right. Yep. Just under. I mean, and then. Yeah, okay. That's Sorry, Elise. Um, oh, good. Um, and then just quickly on, you know, on, on the split between price rises and consumables, can you can you have a bit more color there? Um, and then an understanding of customers' um, willingness to pay for them on a on a going forward basis, especially on the, yeah on the consumables side. So the as I say the you know the split between um, volume and pricing was almost similar in terms of. The pricing, there was two two aspects to that pricing. One was the increase in price that we got where because, because of the switch from GE to us now selling direct to customers. So we're no longer doing a selling at a distributor price. We're just selling everything at the, the customer price. And then there was a small amount of um, price improvements associated with the negotiations we had with the customers in terms of setting up all those agreements. In terms of pricing moving forward, we think that you know the prices we've now uh, been able to get through in the first half, we expect those to be quite similar in the second half, so not expecting further price increases because we've now effectively set price agreements in with all those customers, we've got enterprise agreements with that includes pricing with a lot of the um, the IDNs, etc. So those prices are are pretty much um, set in there. Um, the only thing, at least, that you know on pricing is obviously when you do bulk deals, you know if somebody wants. 50 Trophon upgrades, well, then they'll get discounts on those sort of things. But uh, we'll, we're very happy to to accommodate those sort of uh, price reductions. Great. Thank you. Great. Thanks very much, Elise. Well, thank you all um, very much for attending this morning. And um, 
no doubt over the coming days I may be speaking to many of you again um, but again we, we believe a very solid uh, result for the first half and uh, we look forward to continuing to perform throughout the second half and beyond so thanks everybody thank you